Hello, welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we break down and review movies, trailers, TV shows, and anything pop culture. Today we'll be talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Season 1, Episode 4, The Whole World is Watching. My name is Emmett, and I'm joined by my co-host and Season 2 Mass Singer winner, Ivan. Yes, it wasn't actually Wayne Brady as a fox, it was me the whole time. <laughs> Are you a Mass Singer fan? Um, no. <laughs> I feel I, like I've seen a few episodes. It's a cool concept, but it's also celebrities that I don't care about. Well, you don't care about Chris Daughtry or nope, or or <laughs> Wayne Brady or well, I, um, I I care about Wayne Brady. Okay, well, there's one. <laughs> <laughs> we got one season, one person on one season. Yeah, I haven't kept up with it, but like I'm always on Twitter for random, you know, like I'll I'll see whatever is trending online, so I know some of the events that happen throughout but but. i like when you go onto youtube and you get like an entire season of mass singer for one of the characters broken down into like a four minute video so you get all their like a couple (laughs) bits of their songs and what the judges said and then you find out like i don't want to have to watch once a week type of thing i i sympathize with that that's exactly how i consume a lot of other content that i'm (laughs) semi-interested in but not quite committed to well let's get into the news uh, this is news as of 4.12. Not terribly too much from the last time we recorded. I think the big one that came out either today or might have been yesterday is that Black Adam, the comic book movie for DC starring The Rock, is reportedly starting filming right now. So get set. That's coming out in July of 2022 is that actually finally coming out or is he just saying like i want to start shooting soon because i feel like this movie's been in development for seven years he uh he sent out a picture on instagram of like uh what are those like uh, start stop clipper clapper things that oh the um the clappers i was right the clapper is a real word <laughs> it is <laughs> yeah he's he tweeted or uh sent that out on Instagram that it was like personalized for Black Adam. So they've been delaying that for a long time. Well, I guess it kind of made sense with COVID, but wasn't delayed before COVID too? Yeah, so I think he was he expressed interest in the project back in 2003. And this was back when they had cast Army Hammer as Batman for a Justice League uh triumphant, I think they were going to call it. And then it just fizzled out, and then nothing came of it for years. And that was the one movie that Warner Brothers refused to say was canceled. So here we are, <laughs> twenty-year movie in the making. <laughs> you gotta—he's gotta have some sort of like, you know, fanboyish love for the character if he's like been hanging on to this role for this long, though. Yeah, it must be. I, I think he's gonna do great in that. I—I I, I think it's gonna play right to his strengths, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stuff they talked about with that movie and the uh, DC fan event thing they held over the summer, it it fleshed out the movie a little bit more, so it caught my interest a little bit more. Uh, I I don't really know much about him, the character, but I saw, like, either it might have been fan art and I might have been gotcha'd here, but is it, like, a cross with Shazam? Yeah, he is the original Guardian that... uh, the wizard shared his powers with. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's got a really cool little... He's kind of like an anti-hero, so not quite a villain, but also a villain <laughs> to, to Shazam. So they're kind of like the polar opposites. Just basically picture him as the, uh, the Venom to uh, mm-hmm. Shazam's Spider-Man. 
Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I wonder how they're going to play this out. I know, um, just to kind of add a little bit here, but The Rock has been a very big proponent of, of keeping the Zack Snyder universe alive. Yes. So the rumor is that uh, Henry Cavill is supposed to cameo in this film, but there's some tensions behind the scene because Warner Brothers wants to do away with the Snyderverse. So we'll see what happens. Well, they could cameo him just like they did in Shazam. <laughs> Without his head? No, <laughs> no head, just, just a body double. I, I'm i kind of picturing that The Rock is probably going to kill this role because I feel like it, it's something he's been building up to for a while and he's supposed to have a lot of creative control and freedom over the, the character. So I'm kind of excited. And they're supposed to introduce the uh, Justice Society of America, which are characters that I think aren't haven't really been explored that much in anything outside of comic. Very cool. Something to look forward to long-term. Uh, something short-term, though. This just caught my eye. I don't know if you if this has been on your radar before, but uh, it's going to be a new Netflix show on dropping on 423. It's called Shadow and Bone. It looks really interesting. It's like a cross between like Game of Thrones and Avatar, like the last Airbender Avatar. I've not. I gotta check that out though. Is it, is it like a kind of fantasy medieval drama kind of thing? Yeah, it, it's a, it's exactly that fantasy medieval. Um, and they control different elements, and like the rarest element is light. Uh, so it's like a whole light versus dark. There's only like one person who can wield each, uh, each of those powers, and uh, the main characters. I, I don't. I this is a cast that like I don't even know any of the names of. Um. It's it's just that this girl like discovers that she has this power, and then uh, it looks like it's gonna be a lot of like drama and politic playing, like Game of Thrones, but then like controlling elements and stuff like that for Air, the Last Airbender. That sounds pretty cool. If it's anything like The Witcher, it should probably be a pretty solid hit for them. Yeah, that that was my first thought. Is like stylistically, from a camera perspective, it looks like The Witcher, but then. Plot-wise, it looks like it's the other two. I gotta gotta add it to make you keep an eye on it. Which I thought was weird, because like this seems like it's a pretty high-budget show, and I only just found out about it like a couple weeks before it, it's going to air. It could be that um, it was maybe produced for something else, and then Netflix bought it out, so that's why they haven't been marketing it all that much. Mm-hmm. It has happened before. Yeah. I think, uh, what was it, Stranger Things, I don't think was originally supposed to be for Netflix. I think it was made for network television, and at some point they bought the it Sci-Fi out. Network? <laughs> no, nah, I don't think so. That budget was way too high for Sci-Fi Network. But yeah, this uh, this gives me a reason to get back into Netflix, because for a while here, I've mostly just been like in HBO Max or Hulu. Uh, Netflix has kind of felt a little stale, so this might be something to bring me back into it. Yeah. You've been hyped up on that um, Mighty Ducks spinoff, right? <laughs> Gosh, no, not Mighty Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not so much. I added a last bit of news here. I'm not quite sure how much of it is going to end up fleshing out. There's levels of this that I think have a legitimate source to them. Right now, what, what we're hearing is that Michael Keaton may not be coming back to the Flash movie. He released a statement uh, because of the COVID restrictions, he may not be able to shoot. Um, the rumor is that there's been some behind-the-scenes drama over him wanting a bigger role uh, than what he's being given for the movie. 
Uh, so he may be out. We don't know, but supposedly they've they've started to talk to Christian Bale about potentially returning as Batman for the Flash movie. So not Ben Affleck, huh? So Ben Affleck is going to be in it, but he's not going to suit up as Batman. And this is supposed to be. Well, this will um, be confusing. Yeah, well, this is supposed to be the Flash's movie to delve into the DC multiverse. You got to think it's kind What's of funny. the DC multiverse? <laughs> well, they've kind of been doing that already, right? Because, like, they, you have Joker, you have Dark Knight, you have all these other movies that don't take place in any sort of, like, one single stream of continuity. Um, so I think that's how they're kind of playing this off as to, like, because I know um, Walter Hamada, the president over at Warner Brothers, he's said his big focus with DC is to keep it at non-franchised single solo films for the characters because it seems to work better for them. But there's still a desire to have a cohesive universe. So the rumor was that this this Flash movie is supposed to erase the Snyderverse in continuity and replace it with something uh, different. So when they when they had originally announced that Michael Keaton was coming back to portray Batman, people were excited because they thought they were trying to appease the fans that maybe they don't like uh, Zack Snyder's take on Batman. So if if Michael Keaton's not coming back, it sounds like their plans are kind of faltering a bit. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see what actually pans out here. Would you be down for another Christian Bale as Batman uh, take here? I thought he w- said he was, like, out of it. Um, and I'm ready to move on to Robert Pattinson. I feel like I don't want to... Like, I love Christian Bale's uh, movies as Batman. I don't know if I want to return to that and have it tarnished in any way, you know? That's what I was kind of thinking, too, because they... So this week, they also came out and confirmed that Robert Pattinson's Batman takes place on what they're calling Earth 2, which is... <laughs> From the comics, there's different Earths. That's why they call it the in, infinite Earths thing. The, the their multiverse. multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> so if they're starting to do that, you know, like talking to press, like magazines and stuff and saying like, oh, th- this is taking place in this Earth and this other one, you know, I, I got to think that maybe Warner Brothers is trying to like really put their foot on the pedal for on the gas for this multiverse concept. Uh, but you got Robert Pattinson. Like, why not just use him then? Like, right. Use this as your avenue. Like, keep Ben Affleck as kind of like the old continuity. But then, if you're going to reboot everything, then just have Robert Pattinson take over. Who knows what Warner Brothers is doing? I don't know. I am excited for that Batman movie, though. Yeah, I'm getting more excited for that one. It looks, uh, it looks really good. He's driving that Dodge Charger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's get into a spoiler-free general thoughts about the Falcon and Winter Soldier episode, uh, episode four. Uh, the whole world is watching. I, I mean, we say this every week, uh, but I, I really honestly do think that every week the these episodes get a lot better. Um, it's a really exciting episode, and I really enjoyed uh, this one. Definitely is about like conflict resolution, and I enjoyed seeing you know the two different ways to handle conflicts either peacefully or violently and um it's not really something i expect for like a comic book movie or show to you know get into but i think much like wandavision did they're taking very serious and modern themes and taking a deeper look at those uh so like this one looking this this show looking like it's gonna be uh i mean we already saw it dealing with police but like de-escalation as well um how to handle these conflicts differently so it's it's a lot deeper for a marvel movie than just like suit up and fight the bad guy 
Yeah, there's been a lot of undertones of like covering the themes of racism and you know discrimination, and now we the word supremacy pops up in this episode a couple times. Yeah, and I gotta say, like they're handling it really well because it's getting people talking. And depending on who you're talking to, somebody's gonna take something different away from the conversation, but you're kind of coming to the same conclusion. You know, like it's not like people are praising John Walker for what he's done, but but like I also see people like sympathizing with what what's what happens through um through his character but i thought this was a solid episode i thought as you said we kind of sound like a broken record because every week we're like no this was the best episode so far <laughs> but it's true and i have yet to be disappointed by this show it's closer to cookie cutter marvel than than wandavision was right but i think it keeps delivering on a weekly basis and for me it's felt like i've been watching a mini movie every week that's very akin to watching uh the winter soldier which for me is up there on one of my top five films for the mcu so yeah and i really and i really would liken this show to like a jack uh tom clancy jack ryan on prime uh it seems very like uh fast-paced action but overall they're trying to solve some major crime or terrorist threat or something like that uh and they, they seem to be right on the heels of it. And then, you know, one step forward, two steps back type of thing. And I really like that, what we're getting with this. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm glad to see that in the world where the Russo brothers aren't directing a Captain America themed um, project, that the same tones are being taken into account and you kind of get the same vibes, but delving into heavy themes, but it still feels like Marvel. You know, like at no yeah. point does it sound like too overtly preachy or does it ever like hit you over the head with things too hard. Um, it's great. I've, I've been enjoying it, honestly. And I think your prediction from our pregame episode of this, I think, uh, is coming true here. I think this might be the best show that, th- that they released this year. Yeah, and we'll have to stay tuned for Loki for that. But uh, I think just because this is so familiar to what Marvel fans expect... WandaVision was great and all that, and I wouldn't take anything away from it. But this feels like home, you know, for for Marvel. And what we had talked about before uh, in the pregame, I think, for this show was these are kind of two characters kind of similar to Wanda and Vision that we didn't really care about, except it differed from Wanda and Vision because we had seen them often and it still was that we didn't really care that much about them. And I think part of that honed for me because I don't really care about Steve Rogers, Captain America. So this is probably by association that I don't care about these two. But I'm really starting to like uh, Winter Soldier. Is it weird that I'm gaining more of an appreciation for Steve, even though he's not in the show at all? (laughs) I think everyone's holding him up to like deity level of he was perfect. And I'm like... Did I miss something? Maybe it's just like they miss him and it's, you know, you're romanticizing the past. But it seemed like he was just like the right level of super soldier. And I guess it is fair to say that he was the ultimate good guy when looking at other super soldiers. He was the ultimate goody two shoes. I think think he's just like not about that type of character, which I totally get because like. That's the same complaint about Superman, you know, like they're yeah. too they're too good and not you have necess- to have rules you have, and that you're willing to break or yeah. like rules that aren't perfect. You, you can be short of it. 
And I think they did that with Cap starting with Civil War because he wasn't right about the conflict either. He wasn't 100% right. But yes. I don't know. The, the reason why I was kind of getting more appreciation of it is I feel like the themes that are being covered in this episode kind of illustrate the point of, um, you know, holding people up to this high standard of being a super soldier, superhuman, some sort of like icon. It does give people mixed, uh, uh, what you call a mixed perspective because then you you're seeing them in a way that is not exposing their flaws. And so it kind of shows to me, it illustrates the point of like, it's important to have somebody who doesn't themselves hold themselves to that pedestal. And I think that's what Steve uh, represented pretty well. Like he wasn't perfect, but he also, he kind of acknowledged that he wasn't perfect. Whereas, um, you know, there are people who are going to take that power for granted. Yeah, let's uh, let's pause there before because I can tell we both are very excited to yeah. <laughs> start spilling spilling the tea on this episode. Uh, so I just think general thoughts is that we're both excited with each episode as it goes on. I don't know if this is going to be like Wandavision where you can binge just in one day or one. It might be like a full weekend or a long weekend kind of a binge, but uh, it does feel like where each episode is enough to make you pause, think about what you just watched before you start the next one. For sure. All right, so if you haven't seen it and you don't want spoilers, uh, go ahead, throw us on pause, come back later, review us, give us a five-star rating in whatever App Store or Prime or wherever you listen to these podcasts. Download our whole catalog. <laughs> Whatever's good for you. All right, so let's start off with, uh, do you mind if we start off with Bucky? I, that's kind of where this episode started. Yeah. So... They show us, he obviously ended the last episode in the alleyway with Ao, from, who's from Wakanda, who's part of the, um, oh gosh, I always get this wrong. It's I say the King, the king Guard, but uh, it's really the... The Dora Milaje? Yes. Uh, and they do a flashback to pre-Infinity War, which it seems like it's right after Civil War, uh, where he's learning how to shake off the Winter Soldier. Yeah, it seems like they're putting him up to the test there to see Giving if the him words the, still hurt. Yeah, the keywords. That was a pretty intense and nice little moment to start off with because it establishes that relationship he has with Ao. Like she becomes more than just like the really the really like um, formal, Stoic. I guess, and it, it gives her like this very personable relationship with him. Yeah, it's a very emotional scene for for both of these people. Like, uh, she's truly got his back in a way that he's only ever felt comfortable with Steve to to trust somebody. And when she sees that he's, you know, going through so much pain, but pushes through to the finish and has finally shaken off the Winter Soldier brainwash, she also like gives a little smile out of the corner of her mouth, and you can see her like breathing heavier because. Uh, it's a lot for, for her to take in there, too. And it's neat to kind of juxtapose it to where we left off these characters at the end of last episode. Yeah, they look like they're about to fight. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, you know, she comes back and she's like, hey, man, we did all this stuff for you. And then you go ahead and you free the guy that murdered our king. So you can kind of feel why she's yes. <laughs> pretty pissed. Yes. So then they comes back to present day and she basically says, like, you got eight hours with them. I understand that you're... He's a means to end, and we're gonna give you a little bit of trust, but it's only eight hours worth, and then we're all we're all coming for him. This um this interaction here, I feel like played up really well the 
tension that comes later on in the episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I don't think we've ever, I don't think we've ever seen a, or let me rephrase that. I I didn't think we would ever see the Dora Milaje characters brought to life outside of the Black Panther franchise necessarily. Like if anything, I thought a character like Shuri would be would be seen on the show. So it's nice to see them um, going the same route that they did with WandaVision and bringing characters in that we've seen before. They didn't have that much of a role, but they're giving them something to do now. Yeah, I like that uh, ever since, what was it? I guess it was Black Panther, where they opened their borders to the world. Now it's like, um, although this is still pretty personal for them, but it's nice to see they have, they're have they using these this team of people as like a, as their own like SEAL Team 6, sort of, where they, they send them in over borders to secure people of interest. To chew bubblegum and take names. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I really like this scene set up for, for later, like you said. Uh, but then they lead us back into Zemo's bachelor pad, we'll call it. <laughs> yeah, this guy has hideouts everywhere, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he, he is uh, he's flexing how much money he has uh, several times in this episode, but... Uh, he gives a pretty interesting monologue on the serum and his theory, how anybody who's using the serum is seeking power and is inherently on a dangerous path towards supremacy, uh, like you mentioned before. And then they bring up Steve as their counterargument, and he's basically saying, like, ah, but that's the outlier. No one else has been like him since. Yeah, it was interesting to see even Zemo agree that, like, yeah, touche, you know, you're right on that, but uh, there hasn't been another person like him uh, since it. I, I thought that whole conversation, and I think Zemo as a whole, it has been very interesting on the show, because that conversation about supremacy rings pretty true, because while he's right, he's also a bit of a supremacist himself. You know, like, I think there's little comments that he makes throughout the throughout the this episode in particular where you know he they give him some really good heavy dialogue, but he, it's also like they don't let you forget that hey, this guy is still a snake, you know. And he shot Nagel in the last episode, <laughs> and then he like has the audacity <laughs> to be like, "Well, we're not arguing semantics here." It's like, no, you we all watched you shoot him. <laughs> He's like, "That's debatable." <laughs> That's not going on my record. You have no proof. He died in that RPG accident. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, you're right. He is uh, ignoring the evil that he's done. And I'll make a point on this later, but means to an end seems to be the theme of this episode specifically and probably going to be this whole show. Yep. Um, But I do like that he is like Steve Rogers is the outlier because we can kind of take his word for, uh, for you know, law or religion or whatever you want to call it, um, because he's done so much research into the Avengers because he was looking for a way to pry them apart, and it wasn't via Steve. It was like anything he did in his past. It it had to be through Bucky, and that was the only way that um, Iron Man was going to be like against Steve. Yeah, he's he's the ultimate player here, and he's the ultimate troll. He's the ultimate like, I guess, intelligence in the room at this point. Because I feel like Zemo plays everybody <laughs> uh, on on this show, 
but his his talk about like comparing Carly to a like she's becoming a supremacist or anybody who takes the serum is inherently on the path to supremacy. Yeah, he's right, but he's also a bit of a hypocrite in the same sense. You know, like yeah. there's comments he makes throughout the sh- throughout this episode in particular where when they go back to essentially like the the, the encampment where these displaced uh. I guess refugees, right, for lack of a better term, uh, are, and they they visit it. He talks about how in his youth, when you know when he was younger, having come from a rich family, he would attend this uh, these fancy dinners at this place, and he says something to the effect of like, "It's a shame what they've done to to the place." Yeah, and I'm like, (laughs) yeah, and I'm like, well, there goes the supremacy talk you were talking about before about like the superiority complex of people. Like, of course, like he's talking about other people having the mentality of being above others, but here he is himself kind of using that same <laughs> mentality without calling himself out for it. Yeah. That was a weird line for him to throw in there. Cause it does kind of contradict his character a lot. Uh, a bit in this episode so it's it's very hard to get a read on him but one thing he does here is he pre-packages turkish delight to take with them and this just shows how how many steps ahead he is on sam and bucky who in order to find information about uh mama donia that they just like (laughs) they just start saying the name to people as if that's going to get them intel and Zemo knows, like, if you want, like, these people are starving, they're displaced, they're uncomfortable. If you can just talk to them and maybe bribe them with something, um, you're going to get it a lot further. Yeah, that was real slick of him. And what was the, the little nursery rhyme he was singing? It was uh, the Baba Black Sheep. Baba Black Sheep. It had a creepy vibe to it. When he, well, when he does anything, it's creepy. <laughs> he it dances, is. he sings. It's awful. He essentially bribes a little girl to into oh, it was, up yeah, no, it was all like, that info. Get in my get in my van, I have candy. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could think about. Yeah, I, I the moment he took the bag out, I was like, Oh that bastard. He he put out the turkey <laughs> Turkish delight. I know where he's going with this. He's done this too many times, he's too comfortable doing it. It's smart though, because like what no, Sam, it's the right play. Yeah, what Sam and Bucky ended up doing is genuinely trying to engage these people and say, like, hey, we're looking for you know, Mama Danya, is, is she here? And obviously nobody's going to give her up. Like, you know that these people here are supporters of Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers. Of course, they're not going to say anything. So maybe not the right approach here. Yeah. Um, but maybe kind of obvious that it's not the right approach. Like, I feel like they, they would have been lost without Zemo in this <laughs> interaction here. Well, it just seems like, like, this is a weird portion of this episode for me because Sam should know better how to talk to people. And he tries briefly on the last guy, but he went through like three people before that where he just said, are you Mama Donia? Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, you know she's dead. <laughs> Stop throwing that name around. Yeah, we we don't get a lot of like smart moves from Bucky and Sam, which uh, is evident as what happens later on in the, in the episode uh, with them um, eventually leading to Zemo's escape here. But... Uh, did you did you expect him to get away <laughs> in this sense, or how were you kind of thinking this was going to go? Well, he doesn't get away until the very end of the episode, um, which we can talk about now if we want to. He pulled, uh, I think Sam said it best, he pulled an El Chapo on them <laughs> and escaped. Yeah, so this is like, um, 
to me, this is really bringing back what was, what was it, two episodes ago? How in prison he was like, he, he said he was reading Machiavelli. And like the oversimplification of Machiavelli is that it's like a manual for royalty how to gain power and how the means justify the ends. And that um, you can kind of do anything to get there, right? So you could use deception as part of that power, which is uh, exactly what Zemo is used to doing. And, you know, we'll talk about the the fight between the Dora Milaje and, and everyone else, but it's an exact parallel to Civil War where he used the fight between Bucky and Steve against Iron Man to slip away. And nobody noticed him leave. He just is there to like instigate the fight and then use that as his way to get away. Yeah, he's he's an expert at playing off of other people's emotions, a hundred percent. Yeah, and, same thing as war. And it seemed like uh, Bucky Winter Soldier knew like what Machiavelli was about because they both exchange a look when he said when uh, Zemo says that that's what he's reading in prison, and. I think they both are in that moment thinking that they're like the royalty in how to gain power. So Bucky's looking at Zemo as like, you're my means to end so I can stop Carly. And then Zemo's like, "Ah, you're my means to an end to get out of here and be free. (laughs) So it's an interesting, like, who's actually in charge here play. Yeah, for sure. I think that um, they kind of play off of each other a bit well there especially like the the reference to machiavelli too like he was a he was like also like an anti-government politician back in the day during the renaissance Mm -hmm. um so he it kind of delves in with that theory too of like the flag smashers and the overall theme of the show uh but he was also a master of like playing up i guess both sides and kind of figuring out where he can kind of gain power uh, from his opponents just kind of fighting each other, which is totally 100% um, Zemo to a T. Um, I I thought for so you know, and I'm kind of um, I'm a little uh, surprised as how like how many people are coming out really really liking Zemo because he's very a, a little bit of a sympathetic character, not so much for what he is but more so because he talks so much truth but i also feel like it's so funny because he that's that's how you're meant to see him as the guy that you is right but he's very very much a manipulator to a t yeah and he's also a terrorist <laughs> like he right bombed, right he bombed the un which is a very forgettable thing because he uh pinned it on bucky so well that most people forget that I think they're just like caught up in the moment of like, oh, he's right. Yeah, somebody can be right and also be completely evil <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and have done something that's like totally unforgivable in their past. <laughs> yeah. So he's a very interesting character. I think he's probably going to be my favorite character out of this. Uh, he delivers these monologues with such good, uh, you know, expressions and how the arguments are formed. And what he's presenting to people. Yeah, Daniel Brule has a really good voice for this kind of thing. Which, fun yeah. fact, he's the voice of Lightning McQueen for the German dub of <laughs> of Cars. So if you're yeah. if you're bored and you want a kick of it, go to Disney Plus, switch it to German, and listen to Daniel Brule Zemo 
as uh, Lightning McQueen. Isn't Owen Wilson the American version? I think he is. Wow. Where did I come up <laughs> with that trivia? <laughs> and that's our car segment for, for this episode. <laughs> Wait, before we move on from Zemo, one last little tidbit here that probably should have been included in the news, but for anybody who ever thought that they wanted or even thought of watching Zemo awkwardly dance for an hour straight, Marvel's got you covered. They like legitimately released on their YouTube account a one-hour cut of Zemo dancing. Yeah, how long of that did you watch? I saw um, that too. <laughs> Forty-seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty impressive. I saw about ten seconds. And I was like, "Yep, don't need any more of this." <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty funny that they steered into that troll. The uh, the next character, I guess, on the timeline of this episode. She only had a couple small parts in this, but Sharon Carter comes back in with some important some important portions of this episode, I would say. You mean the power broker? It definitely is steering towards that, although I'm still skeptical to say that she's working for the power broker. Yeah, I don't know. I, she, I, I think they're trying to pull the wool over her eyes here. And it's going to be one of those, like, a, another red herring. But I don't know. I just don't know what to expect because she's giving off villainous vibes every time we see her visually. Yeah, she is weaving in and out of, like, these, I guess, checkpoints in Madripoor. And, uh, like, people are letting her go without checking, like, ID or anything like that. And... She she mentions that she has a couple satellite like access to a couple satellites, which is kind of weird for someone who's on the run. And there are like I don't know if you've seen these like pause screenshots uh, of like graffiti on the wall, and one of them says like the power broker is always watching you, and like her having satellites kind of it lends like a little nudge and wink to that maybe she is power broker or. Uh, it could also mean that she's very close to the power broker, but it seems like her willingness to help out with Sam's requests is not to be able to come back to the States, but to find Carly so that the files are returned. It seems like that's what's going on, but I think we're, we're led to believe that who knows if that's going to end up being the play, but we're, we're four episodes in at this point. We have only two more left. I got to think that either she's the power broker or it's another character that we've already seen. Because I kind of don't think there's room to introduce somebody new here. I think there is. But the power broker inherently needs to be, will need to be stopped. And I right. don't see how Marvel can be like, let's kill or imprison Sharon Carter, and that Falcon's the one who has to do it. I could see it happen. <laughs> I, I can't, see it happen. just because, like, she's so, she was so close to Steve, I don't see her becoming, like, radicalized in her time of exile. But maybe because she felt left alone, like, left and forgotten. Um, It could be that, and it's also, like, again, the, the theme of supremacy here, like, if if it is her that's the power broker, like could it be that the temptation of the super soldier serum is what drove her to it? Like I, I don't know. Did she maybe take it already and she, you know, is also a super soldier at this point? I don't know. 
Whoever the power broker is, though, it's got to be some sort of heavy hitter that's going to put up some sort of physical fight, I feel like. Jeff Goldblum. And he's here from uh, Thor 3. That would be great. That would be hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) I would take that as a power broker. (laughs) That would actually be really funny. I would want to see that. (laughs) She does give villainous vibes, though, man. Like She was swishing her alcohol there just like a straight-up villain as she's observing her satellites. I'm like, you can't be this calm. Yeah, there was another there was another like zoom in and pause on that. And she's got this like new cut on her I guess her lip or her like her face. So it does look like she was when she said that things are gonna get a lot more uh hostile here. I don't think that was the word she used, but dangerous in Madripoor uh when she was on the phone with Sam, she had like a clean face. So her her scars from her the previous fight had healed, so you might be right that she might have taken the serum when you when you kind of just threw that idea out there. But it might all I don't I feel like the power broker is the one who inflicted pain on her. For plot twist, she's actually Mystique, and this is the X Men's intro into the, <laughs> into oh the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> and and Doctor Von Doom is the power broker, and no, Mephisto. Mephisto oh, is the power oh, right. broker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How did, how did I miss that? It could be. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, you know, we'll we'll see how that kind of ends up playing because it's going to be interesting to see what they do with her. Because I I'm also on the like the side that I don't want her to to be the villain, but I can't help but think that that's where they're going with it based on what we've seen. It's definitely it's definitely some tie to it whether she's the big bad or if she's working for him. It's it's something to be there for sure. Yep. But segueing into Falcon, mm-hmm. I think this is this whole series is his resume on reasons why he should be Captain America. Yep. He's got the counseling experience coming into play. He's like he's very much the person that will not punch first and ask questions later. Um, he's a super rational guy. Like. I'd love to kick it and have some beers with him. It seems like he's that kind of approachable dude, you know, like, and more than anything, I feel like he's proving himself to be exactly the second um, incarnation of what the valleys of Steve Rogers uh, had, you know, they would be in him too. Yeah. He's, he's proving that he is such a loyal friend to Bucky and to, and to Sharon and to like everyone else he's interacted with. But then also like a loyal family member, like he he immediately will like he goes from being a very peaceful conversation with Carly to showing up in his full Falcon suit because his sister was threatened. And it it shows like that he does understand, you know, use your words first, have a discussion, understand where they're coming from, just like Steve kind of would do, and then be ready to fight if if you if you're pushed to it. I think it's one of the fundamental things of, of, of the Captain America creed, I guess, for lack of a better term, of like trying to, you know, sustain all life to whatever degree you can whenever possible. And I feel like he's exemplifies that by not dismissing Carly and not saying outright, you know, writing them off as full on villains. Um, and I think that that kind of thing. Uh, at least for me, like the ability to be able to find that 
kind of common ground with your enemy is what makes uh, somebody a lot more capable of dealing with this kind of threat and situation. So he like I feel like he's proving himself to be worthy on this show. Yeah, and one I guess uh, one thing that I really like about his character development is that he used to just lead his fighting with like two Uzis. <laughs> and Steve was no guns ever. He was always just shield and fists, and that was it. Um, I mean, we saw him use guns every once in a while, but for the most part, he was pretty non-lethal when he came to fighting. And we haven't seen Falcon with a weapon other than his wings in this episode, in this whole series so far. And the new Captain America, John Walker, leads with the shield and gun. In the, in this episode specifically, but we've seen it in the first episode too. Like, it's very different portrayals of what um, what the Captain America should be doing, and it should be more of like a like we said before, like de-escalation without weapons first, and then prepared to handle like a physical altercation if you had to. It does a really good job of like illustrating the creativity of the two characters too, because like all the times that you've seen Steve use the shield in the movies. A lot of times it's like bouncing it off the walls, hitting somebody, reverberating it back, or like, you know, like different uses of it. Um, and Falcon almost does the same thing with his wings and the thrusters and like using whatever he can to to stay um, in the game, per se, with these super soldiers who have augmented strength and could probably kill him if he, uh, you know, let up for a second. Um, yeah. But it's it's a nice little counter to, as you said, like, john walker captain america who comes out with immediately with the gun and in terms of the way that he uses the shield he'll only throw it at people and then get it back like that's the extent of the creativity he gets into i think the most creative thing he was was sliding the shield to save lamar when he fell off the truck a few episodes yeah. back yeah he uh he's not that great using it despite the promo shots we saw in the star spangled man episode for that good morning america show yeah, he's very much like, you know, shoot first, ask questions later kind of guy. So this is definitely trigger happy Captain America. Um, but, you know, the, the, the contrast between him and Sam is couldn't be ever, ever more evident. And I kind of want to get into like the little bit of a discussion of like, because, you know, you can't avoid it with this with this series because it's already brought it up. But like the undertones of supremacy, I guess, and, and, and race, especially when it comes to, to Sam there's an interesting conversation that happens with uh, Carly and Sam's sister when she calls her to basically threaten them uh, and to, in an effort to try to get Sam alone. Um, they have a whole conversation about how she doesn't, Carly doesn't know if she can trust Sam because clearly he's working for Captain America, to which Sam's sister says, no, he definitely isn't, and then tells her, like, something to the extent of like if you know if america doesn't care about about me why should i care about its mascot mm -hmm. and so it touches on that point where i feel like it, it's almost kind of like a, a reverb of what we of what we've seen before earlier in the show which is that whole like obviously you have you've established the fact that you know the the, the black struggle in in america on this show and the heavy theme of like that's a lot to kind of put on somebody but it's also like painting out this picture of the amount of 
I guess, bodies and stuff that had to be there in order for someone like John Walker to take up the shield. Like they got it from they they got it they got it from the the, the blood of uh, of Isaiah Bradley. Uh, mm-hmm. They got the serum from it. Then there's also the you know the the impact and struggle of like having this this guy who literally was handed the shield gave it up and he was basically pre-selected by Captain America himself to be Captain America. And instead of acknowledging that, the U.S. government then turns around and says, "No, we'll give it to the perfect soldier." Completely the opposite of what um, the first Captain America movie established that should be the the prerequisite to to get the formula. What was that line from Erskine? Like right before he had this the the whole procedure with uh, with Steve, he tells he tells him to keep being who he is, not a perfect soldier, but a good man. Yeah, it was something like that, and that's what he also said to um, what was his name Tommy Lee Jones character like the general in that movie that he's not looking for the perfect soldier he's looking for the perfect man when yeah. they did that little live grenade test and steve jumped on it then yeah um, and, and i think that that the that perceived struggle though is what unites both steve and and sam whereas sam has had a difficult life because of his circumstances steve had a difficult life because of his circumstances and so in a way it's almost like that experience is kind of humbling enough to to make you either be a good man or resent the world for it um because that's that's where i kind of see this kind of going it's like steve was handed a pretty rough life because he lost both his parents at a young age from uh from what we saw that first movie um and he was kind of left off on on his own um but and he was also small for his (laughs) You know, for for a guy, uh, so he had to like really struggle. He was kind of, in an essence, bullied, right? So, I feel like that is what John Walker kind of lacks. But he's he's been through his own traumatic experiences, and he has, you know, he's like they said, he's he's a perfect soldier, but doesn't have that personality, I guess, to be the the ideal Captain America. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of different points I would want to. Uh, counter to you or compliment to you um i guess starting off with that last point there is that steve uh like the 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 bit also from erkson who was the scientist who gave steve the serum was that he understands like what power means because he doesn't have any going through like um like growing up so that's why he also was another really good reason to be the pick for the super soldier program. And Falcon's kind of the same way because he really is only as strong as his suit allows him to be. There is definitely that parallel there for like another reason uh, that we're saying that Falcon aligns really well with keeping the shield. The other part that I wanted to comment on too was the bit about Carly talking with Sam's sister, Sarah is her name, right? Yeah. Um, and she does say that line about, like, America doesn't care about me. Why do I care about the mascot? And Carly's like, well, you, you sound just like me, so I guess I can trust you temporarily. I think part of that conversation was just there wasn't a legitimate threat there because Carly's ultimate plan was just to get Falcon away from Captain America so that she could actually have him killed uh, and it would be an easier fight for them than if uh, all the heroes were united. But I think an interesting 
thing that Sarah has going for her character is that, I mean, it's hard to be, you know, a woman in the in this country and then be a, a minority as well. And then she's also a blip survivor, which we're now seeing is like not like like they're forgotten about sort of or not, not that they're forgotten, just left aside because the people who didn't survive the blip and came back need extra attention so it's like she's been completely forgotten yeah well it, it sounds a lot like because they have that line where uh, carly says to sam they're they're taking your home away too mm-hmm. why aren't you fighting with me and so it, it sounds to me like during the blip people came together they united and they you know they had some sort of like com- they had this common bond i guess of loss and pain and then when everybody came back they wanted to revert everything back to the way it was to the point that they kind of went back to forgetting about the people that were struggling and they are being displaced again. It's, you know, that line from Erskine about like for a powerful, a powerful man who knows power his whole life tends to forget that power and kind of mm-hmm. take it for granted. Whereas a weak man or somebody who's never had power knows the value of strength. I feel like that can be said from like the social issue for Sam too, because like, you know, systematically, he has been mm-hmm. uh, someone that hasn't had power, and it's kind of a sen- exemplified on that the fact that he couldn't get a loan earlier in the sh- in the show. So, in a way, it's kind of like the same kind of struggles with different faces kind of showing up here for him. Uh, that kind of, I guess, prep him to to be a, the best kind of person he could be, only because when when presented with power, he'll probably know how to do. Uh, with it more good uh, rather than somebody who didn't ever necessarily need to struggle all that much to begin with. Yeah, and it's the same kind of parallel of powerlessness that uh, Sam has compared to Steve. It's not like Steve chose to be you know, genetically smaller and, and weaker. Uh, and it's not like Sam chose to be like have prejudice against him. I know those are entirely different struggles, but... Uh, it's it's like what like that line from Erskine. It's because they are grown up through being powerless, they understand the value of it. Yeah, so they'll they'll know. I think they're better. They have a better, more of an admiration for it um, in a better sense than somebody who would not or would take it for granted. Yeah, and all of this is brought up uh, not just as like a nice tangent to to the conversation, but because. Uh, Falcon's way of handling this either uh, revolutionist or terrorist group, whatever side you're on, to quote Carly, um, his way of handling this is to have a conversation first. And he actually seems to be gaining a lot of trust with Carly. And then John rudely interrupts before the 10 minutes is up. And immediately all that trust that was built is just lost. Yeah, that kind of sucked. He didn't even give him his ten minutes <laughs> to, to to walk through it. But it it just goes to show like the paranoia of um, John Walker, and he hasn't even taken the serum at that point. He is just on edge because he knows he has to produce results, and he wants it to be that it was his plan. And he he's really just seeking validation. You know, I think more than anything else, it could be that the mant the weight of the mantle is kind of weighing heavy on him. So he's anxious to prove himself, but he's also not the most patient person <laughs> in the world. He continually makes 
very condescending uh condescending remarks um and it is it, very much exemplified when the Dora Milaje come into the picture and I don't want to um you know jump ahead if we don't if we want to keep talking about the fight with the Dora Milaje but that scene with Lamar in is it a mall or a cafe whatever it is it seems like it's really really important for his development yeah yeah cuz he he swiftly loses that fight with the with the Dora Milaje and then I think that's uh it's revealed after that during the confrontation with Carly's group, he ended up taking one of the serum vials and they discuss or they allude to what maybe happened at, in Afghanistan as being something that they're both not very proud of. Uh, but he says something to the effect of, you know, they gave him the three medal of honors to commemorate a day where that he'd rather forget. Uh, and I, I could be butchering that a little bit, but it, it sounds like he, yeah, yeah, it's, it sounds like he he acknowledges that he did something maybe maybe bad uh, in Afghanistan that they kind of rewarded him for, and he well, has some sort of regret. I think the bad thing is that he survived and that others didn't. Kind of a thing like that because they both end the lo- end with the line that man, if we had the serum back then, how many people we could have saved. So I think it's more of like that they couldn't save everybody and a lot of people died for whatever happened. Uh, and this is the point though, where, you know, Lamar is obviously his rock, like, and, and his moral compass. And when Falcon says that he wants to try and negotiate with Carly first, it's Lamar who says, maybe we just give him a chance. And if, if we can deescalate this peacefully, then we're set. Like we, we, it's a win-win for us. And for uh, John Walker to hear Lamar in this later scene say, "If I had a chance at the serum, heck yeah, I would, I would take it. No, no questions asked." And he basically says, "Like you're on that spectrum of Steve Rogers to Carly, you're much closer to Steve." And I think that was his. That's what he needed to hear in order to justify him taking that that serum off screen because we never see him actually take it. But quick point on Lamar. I feel like when he 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 kind of did amp him up to take it, but I also feel like he didn't legitimately answer the whole uh, question that uh, John poses to him, which is, and, and again, I could be butchering this, but I think he asked him something to the effect of like, where does he fall on that spectrum? And he kind of segues to a conversation of like, you have three Medal of Honors, you you know, you have recognition it's almost like he didn't want to like tell him flat out like, Hey, you are Steve Rogers or you are, you know, like, no, I think he wanted to just give like regurgitate back John's resume. Like here's why they picked you for captain America. It's because you have these three medal of honors because you make the right decisions in the field of battle. And like, he wanted to just make it sound like you're a perfect soldier and like you're seen as the good guy by everybody. It may or may not be true in John's eyes because he doesn't want to remember that day, but it's his moral compass speaking. So if he's saying, yeah, go for it, take this, I would take the serum, then obviously John's going to take it. Right, kind of gave him the green light to to do it. Which then then leads to the final confrontation between the Flag Smashers and John Walker and Falcon and Bucky. Yeah, so Carly's plan was to get them all separated so that it'd be easier to kill Captain America if Falcon and Bucky were not with him. 
and then ultimately Lamar gets captured and breaks out of his capture just in time to save Cap, who was being basically held up for slaughter. And uh, he, yeah, so Lamar saves him, but then pays the price of his life for it, which, I mean, we, we didn't really get a lot of screen time or character development with him, but I feel like yeah, it, it hurt watching him die from a yeah, it was perspective. Kind of- it's definitely kind of sad because I feel like he had a lot of potential with it, with his character, and obviously he wasn't he wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't like he was legitimately somebody that seemed to be um, John Walker's conscience. And uh, to have that taken away immediately once it happened, I was like, "All right, here we go. Here's the Homelander moment." <laughs> I've been kind of anticipating there for a bit, uh, and it it, it, it it's kind of almost a bit justified in a way only because I feel like everything that kind of happened this whole time, Carly herself is forming up to be what Zemo is kind of pinning her out to be, which is this person that's willing to do anything to get her cause done and it makes her dangerous. And so here she goes from, you know, just trying to have them all kind of back off of her to now fully on, Get committing to a plan to kill Captain America to make a statement. Yeah, she is a little too inconsistent for me. I can't tell if she's really does want peace, but I think it's just that like her acts of violence come after these major moments of either depression or trust issues. Like she bombed the GRC when uh, when Mama Donia passed away like she acted irrationally after that and then when she lets her guard down to talk to the enemy at the time sam and then is immediately betrayed by that she does this other rash action so she is becoming more evil and it's hard to like stick up for her because her plan is to just crucify (laughs) captain america yeah because he's the symbol of america and and of uh i i guess freedom or i guess uh, this false equality narrative. What's the ultimate symbolism of flags? You know, like then she has a group called the Flag Smashers. It's kind of like they're parallel of each other, almost in a way because they're both very irrational people uh, when it comes to like high emotions. Yeah. So I think Sam kind of put it well as that like she he agrees with her cause, but she's going about it the wrong way. And yeah. so it then becomes this whole thing of like, well, you know, why should anybody support you if you're just you're exactly what you're saying that you're fighting against, which is supremacy, uh, which is that whole conversation she he had with with her that Sam had with her earlier after the memorial service, where he basically gets her to say, yeah, she, you know, she'll kill anybody that kind of gets in her way. They're all just kind of cogs in the system that are in the way of her agenda. Um, which then I, I think kind of opens her eyes a little bit to kind of say like, oh, she's sounding like a hypocrite. Yeah, she immediately regretted it and realized that she is walking a very fine line on what she wants and what she's doing. Yeah, but she came up to the point where she said, you are making me sound like that. Whereas she doesn't realize it's, it's all her. Like, these are her honest thoughts, you know? Like, this is exactly where she kind of painted herself up to be. Yeah, this episode does a few good conversations about how to like react quickly to what my statement is. Like Zemos quickly asks, like Sam, 
did you ever take the serum or like were offered it? And if you were, uh, what would you say? And Sam's initial response is no. And it's like the same thing with um, Carly is like, what's your quick response? And she's like, I would kill anyone who gets in the way of our mission. Then it's like, okay, well, that's your <laughs> actual personality is the first thing you say. It's 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 not it may be not what you're intending, but it's it's what you're what you're executing there. You know, like it, it, and I guess she just does. She's too blinded by her agenda that she doesn't realize that she's maybe hindering it more than she's helping it. Speaking of executing, <laughs> uh, this episode ends with, uh, you know, Captain America putting the cap in decapitation on, uh, <laughs> on the guy who said he was a big Captain America fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Earlier in the episode, he said that his father or his grandfather uh, fought Nazis. And I guess we're supposed to you know, assume that he was in a platoon or similar platoon that served with Captain America, the Steve Rogers one. And uh, he heard stories about like what a great guy he was and how like honest and virtuous he was. And he dies by the shield of Captain America. That was a crazy, crazy sequence there. Cause like, I, I, so I, I knew at some, some point he like john walker was gonna snap to some degree you know because mm-hmm. like it kind of seemed like that's what they were building to but I, first off i was surprised that this was shown on disney plus <laughs> and that it was shown on the visual of um of a captain america standing up with the bloodied up shield because of an act of aggression of aggression from him definitely a visual that i thought was very striking and maybe why it has an r rating over in europe it was powerful though like i feel like it, it kind of demonstrated just how unstable he really was and the dangers of giving the wrong person this uh responsibility um but even more so than that like the, the whole the title of the episode is the whole world is watching mm-hmm. and not to brag but one of my predictions for last week jokingly though was that he yeah. was gonna get canceled and it looks like i was right he's gonna get canceled yeah so uh first off you don't actually see a decapitation in this episode you just see blood on the ground and then on the shield but they are very striking images for a marvel show and secondly this happens like in a town square um not inside one of the buildings that they're fighting in the chase kind of leads to a public place where a whole crowd of people are videotaping the scene and you can see in the background a lot of the background cast are like reacting gasping and uh, it's hard to watch and at the very end then when he stands up with the shield and falcon and bucky show up and it's just like everyone's on their face like what just happened here what did you just do it was pretty intense to kind of leave the episode off that way but it's also like this immediately happens right after lamar gets killed and you almost kind of see the look of regret on Carly's face when she realizes that she killed Lamar. Yeah. But it's too late. She sees the brutal takedown of her friend, who it looks like everybody else in this Flag Smashers group doesn't have quite as bit of a hardcore bone in their body like Carly does. Um, at least from the conversations they have, it seems like they're a little bit more chilled out than she is. So it's kind of hard to kind of see because, like, you built up the, you had a little bit of backstory from the character. Like you said, he was a Captain America fan. So ironic that he dies by the shield that he was a big fan of before. Yeah, no, that's a great point you make about the rest of the Flag Smashers. I feel like they're going to be turning on her pretty quickly because, 
at the very beginning, they're watching the news of the GRC bombing on their cell phones while, like, in their camping conditions or wherever they're staying. And they're kind of shocked because they had left the scene before that bomb happened. So it's like they didn't know that it was part of the plan. And I, they're aligning themselves with this vision. And it's like, this isn't really what we signed up for. And then um, it seems like some of them are, you know, viewed that way. And then a few others are like, their main concern is really the power broker and, you know, serving a peaceful, I guess, mission to uh, aid those who are now displaced because of the re- people returning from the blip. Um, it seems like everyone has different visions for what they thought they were going to be doing. Yeah, and I, and I feel like none of them really, they had this look to them while they were watching that new segment in the beginning of the episode where they're like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, and I think the, that look kind of came after they announced that one of the people that died was like a father of two. And they, they kind of went into like the family details similar to the way that you see things presented in the news in real world. Um, so I think that the choices she's making is i think are going to like you said maybe um start to show the cracks in in the group and especially since this isn't the first person she's lost under her lead too uh somebody stayed behind in that other episode to buy them more time for their exit so her her army so to speak is shrinking in numbers and now she's lost all the vials too uh so it's very hard to be like she's a She's a good leader. But how do you think this is going to end up now? <laughs> I feel like um, this ended up on a bit of a shocker, but also, uh, you know, Zemo's out on the on the wind. Um, clearly something needs to be done about John Walker, but then Carly's still on the loose and the power broker is still in place somewhere. But I don't know how they're going to wrap things up in two episodes. Prediction time. Um, it is a lot to wrap up. I'm sure they're going to do a really good job of it. I don't think the power broker stuff is really going to get settled i think it's going to end up being one of these like if we have a season two would be covered maybe we'll get like a face reveal or something like that but i think more immediately that uh, i don't really know what zemo's gonna be doing other than maybe just going out on the lam yeah as far as he's concerned carly's a threat right so he if anything he's gonna try to kill her that might be his play for the last two episodes. I feel like there's a lot to to get through, and I just hope we don't get a rush job. That that's my only concern here. Yeah, I I agree with that. So uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, if you guys are listening out there and you have different thoughts about this episode, or if you want to share your voice on it, or you have your own predictions for where this is going, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at bt fourth wall for being four th. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.